Hello and welcome to another episode of Banking Matters. I'm your host, Ashton Woodling. Joining me today is Levi Rogers. Levi has been in information technology for 22 years, with 18 of those spent in banking. He began his career working in internet support for a phone company and then joined Exchange Bank, where he's been ever since. Exchange Bank is currently just shy of $1.4 billion in assets, but when Levi started, they were much smaller. As a result, he has had the opportunity to be involved in most aspects of the bank at some point or another with varying degrees of involvement. Levi is passionate about technology and the efficiencies it can bring to any organization. Levi, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you today. Um, this is one of my my weaker areas, so we will uh, just muddle through here as you deal with my very basic questions. Um, but the very first one I have for you is one we ask all of our guests. Uh, no one dreams of becoming um, somebody who works in a bank every day uh, as a child. So tell me, how did you find yourself in banking? Yeah, so, so you know, I'm going to have to correct you there. Uh, my wife, is also a banker. She's a uh, mortgage loan officer. Um, she went on a field trip when she was a kid and they like toured a bank somewhere and she wanted to be a banker. And so she grew up and went to college in finance and became a banker. She worked at a bank through college. And so, so not everybody. That is amazing. You banker, have one in a million did. there. Yeah. One in a yeah, million. One. I did not. I did not uh, have have any intention of being a banker. Um, you know, I had been working at a phone company and uh, I did internet support for them. I, they actually owned a radio shack. I worked in their radio shack. They had a phone office. We kind of did a little bit of everything. And then when I moved to Kearney, uh, um, Nebraska to finish college, um, the drive was kind of killing me. And so there was a period where I was looking for my next option. Right. And a small bank in town was hiring somebody for general IT support. And then they were in the process of getting enabled uh, with some of the check 21 stuff. And they were trying to digitize a lot of their documents and things like that. So that's what I was originally kind of brought on to do. Um, but as you mentioned in my bio, because it was a small place at the time, you know, I, I did a lot of different things early on. Um, you know, we were really early in the remote deposit capture. We, we were real early in that. And I, I always tell this story just because I remember it. It was kind of a nightmare. So it's like a vivid thing to me. You know, the early remote deposit capture we would go on site to a customers and we would install the like full back office check processing system just like we had right and we built vpns and did all this stuff to get the data back and forth and uh that's came a long ways where now it's just a website and we send them a machine and off to the races we go so yeah that's kind of how it all started i if you would have asked me 18 years ago if i was still going to be doing this I, I probably wouldn't have said yes but it's been uh you know, the bank's been great to me and uh, it's been a good industry. I've, I've volunteered for the NBA quite a bit, which is in a, not not the National Basketball Association, but the Nebraska <laughs> Bankers Association. I, I, I've got a shirt that says NBA on it. So anytime anybody asks, I just tell them I played. 
I love it. Like stare at me, you know, with a disapproving look like, well, you're only six foot tall. So I don't think that's true. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all started. That's funny you say that about the NDA because I have my certified internal auditor and I say the same thing about CIA at the end of my name, that it's because right. I do much fewer things than I really actually do. <laughs> so what yeah, is your favorite part fun. about working in a bank? Um, you know, I think it's just that it's it, it's kind of an interesting um, field because banking's been around forever, right? But yet it's constantly evolving. And, and, and from my side of it, the, the threat side of it is constantly evolving, you know, and, and whether that's in computer security stuff or just general fraud stuff. I mean, you know, we, we kind of plug one hole. It's, it's kind of... <laughs> To some extent, it feels like a leaky boat sometime when it comes to fraud because you okay, well, we're going to fix this problem and and then the bad guys find a different path to go down. Right. But I, I think that makes it it keeps it interesting. You constantly have to be educating yourself. And uh, that kind of I guess I guess I'm getting old enough to say that keeps you young a little bit. So. <laughs> Uh, that's good. That's an interesting perspective. I don't get to talk to folks in IT very often, so it's just kind of curious. Um, so, so one of the the hotter topics I think right now in information security is AI uh, with security. So, can you tell me a little bit about what that is and what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's probably read the headlines on AI, and that there is some confusion you know, because there's there's different types of AI, right? There's large language models, there's machine learning, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I think the jury's kind of still out on how are we going to integrate these these technologies into our lives? I, I think the real big question mark, and it's kind of one of those things where when you want to have a real discussion about it, people that are deeply involved in AI kind of start getting a little dodgy how are we going to secure AI and how are we going to make sure that if a bank or a large corporation starts utilizing some of these large language models, how are we going to ensure that we're not leaking our customers' private data back into their learning engine, right? Because a lot of them, they, they learn as you use them. And I, I think those are really big questions that almost have to be answered before, you know, banks can really kind of dip their toes into this stuff. I think from a community bank perspective, the the struggle for us in general, I, I mean, let's just say we live in a perfect world and all the security issues have been solved and I mean, which is never going to happen, right? But let's just say we do. Community banks don't have the staff that are that are going to be able to, you know, natively help them integrate with large language models or AI. So it's really going to be a lot on the fintech providers. And you know the big guys. I mean, we all know who they are. Um, it's going to be on them to help bring that technology to community banks. I know it's on their mind. I know they're thinking about it. Um, the question will be in their execution of it. And and how can, how can community banks use that to be more competitive? competitive, maybe gain initial, you know, I, I see some efficiencies opportunities, right? Um, that there's a lot of good things that it could do. I, I mean, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the, the kickoff of it. 
I think here's probably the biggest thing I see with community banks, and, and I'm not trying to speak for the whole industry or anything, but we collect a lot of data that we don't use or we don't use effectively. There's some of it we don't use at all. I think AI, machine learning type technologies can be used in the future to help community banks use this data that they collect to help drive sales, bring in new accounts, you know, open new loans. I, I think that's a really big thing from the banking side. I, again, we have to side, solve some of those privacy issues, right? Sure. So what do you see as being some solutions to those privacy issues? Like, Where do you see that going? Uh, you know, that's actually a really hard question. Um, they, it's kind of a multi-pronged thing. Obviously, there's the technical aspects of it, right? Um, but I think there's a bigger question at play. Our legislation is behind the times. I mean, we need better privacy regulations is what I'm going to say. I, I um, so some of this stuff is a little bit of a hot topic, so I kind of want to stay stay away from it. But I think uh, you know the law in general and and the regulatory bodies are are they move slower than what technology does, right? And that's a problem. And I think at some point we're really going to have to take some of that head on, and and that's for the protection of the institutions and and. Look, man, I have a credit card, I have a debit card, I have a mortgage, all those things. I, I'm also a consumer of these things. Um, we we need to solve it for both sides, right? So so I think that's uh that's that's a challenge. The the legislative piece of it is is a big challenge. And I I'm not gonna tell you that I have the solutions, um, because I don't. But I think there are a lot of really smart people out there that understand the law and, and what it can do that can come up with some really great ideas there. From the technical side, it is in the interest of the big tech companies, the big, you know, Google, Microsoft, those guys, OpenAI. It's in their interest to solve this because ultimately who's going to be their best paying customers is people that hold a lot of private data, right? So, so I think they will um, come up with good solutions on the technical side to make banks feel comfortable stepping into using their models, using their technology. I, I think that's a good thing. Right at this exact moment, I would say if inside your own walls you're not blocking open AI, you have a problem. Um, because I guarantee you, you have staff trying to use it. And what are they plugging in there? Where is it going once they plug it in there? Like, there's a lot of big questions there. Um, you know, there's a variety of different ways to kind of handle that. Employee training is a big one. You know, telling people, hey, you got to think about what you're doing here. But ultimately, I think you need to be potentially blocking it until, until management's really evaluated what risk there is there. But again, if, if you've got any staff under 30, I guarantee you one of them is trying to use OpenAI. And I say that I've got an OpenAI paid account. I use it. I don't use it on the bank's computers, but I, I do use it. So, yeah, I, I think those are some things. You know, when I, uh, when I think about other things that AI can do for us, I mean, I've kind of covered the, you know, we can utilize our data better. But I think from the security side, 
IT security side specifically, I really believe that this is going to help level the field where small community banks can buy services that utilize AI to like ingest logs, right? Think logs from your core, logs from your network equipment, things like that. That AI can then crack that data, break it down into usable chunks. And it's really, I hope, going to allow a small bank to basically have the, you know, technical um, twin of like having a SOC department, which is a, a SOC is a security operations center that a big bank would have, right? Because they got a bunch of guys that are staring at a screen and they're looking at logs and they're looking at alerts and they're doing all this kind of real-time monitoring stuff. I'm hoping that AI will um, help us do that without having to put the big, big dollars into the staffing and, and all the technology that comes with that. Right now, uh, CrowdStrike, which is like a, a XDR, EDR solution, EDR is endpoint detection response. They won a bunch of awards for their current AI platform. They are actively rolling it out to customers in the United States. Uh, it'll be curious to see what people think of that. I mean, there's everybody's trying to get in, right? Everybody's trying to do this stuff. But I see that as as something that could help people in my chair. I mean, we have limited resources, right? We're, we're, we're not a tech company, we're a bank. And uh, I think it could help people in my chair be able to do some, some more advanced things without having to just add physical bodies. Sure, that makes sense. So kind of keep up with the big guys. But yeah, keep up with the threats. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but so at its core though, you would would you say that this all still relates back to just normal sound security practices? It it does. You know, I I do want to I do want to add one other thing um when we talk about any of these kind of machine learning type technologies or AI, the other place that I see a really really big need for this is in things like BSA, uh, debit card fraud monitoring. You know, uh, you had somebody on your show maybe four or five episodes ago that was a BSA officer, um, which, you know, God bless you. I, <laughs> that's not a job <laughs> I would ever want, right? Um, but I, I, she talked about they, you know, and I don't know what size their bank was, I, I don't recall, but, uh, you know, they were working 300 plus alerts a day, right? I would say most of those 300 alerts, I think she might've said 90% are not really alerts, right? They're false positives. I think an AI engine injected into that um, could probably take a lot of those false positives out, right? Or it could actually find fraud, right? And not just based off some kind of crazy rules that we come up with because we had this one time that this one thing happened, but it's using that you know, generative model to really find patterns and data that maybe we can't see. I think that in, in my mind, that could be a game changer as well. Um, you know, fraud hurts everybody, right? It hurts the banks, it hurts the consumers. You know, I think that could be a real game changer. So yeah, sorry, I kind of I kind of took a step back there to go go back into AI. But I, I think that was important to get out there. Yeah, no, I love that. And the way you explained it was perfect. I mean, that could really save a lot of time and, and make time spent be a lot more effective. 
a great point. Well, think about, uh, you know, okay, so I think in her example, I think they had four team members, right, including herself, or maybe five with her. I, I get, I don't specifically, I didn't write down the details. But if those four people could spend the majority of their day actually working fraud cases and not just, you know, clicking buttons saying, nope, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay man, that's a much more effective and productive use of their time. It's it's good for everybody involved. So I, I really, you know, I, I'm shout out to any of the fintech vendors that follow this podcast. I really hope you guys are working on that. I hope it's something that, that we can get there soon, right? Yeah, yeah, I love that. So, so let's circle back then to where I was going with our sound security practices. So how would you say um, that then, so is AI just going to help strengthen what we're already doing? It's not new, so to speak, but just a, an extension. So, you know, it's, it's really going to be like, like every disruptive technology. Um, it's going to do some good things and it's going to do some bad things, right? I mean, if we're going to use it to defend our networks, defend our banks, the bad guys are going to use it to come after us, right? I mean, so it's definitely a double-edged sword. Um, you know, when I think about kind of sound security practices, and, and and maybe I can tie this back to AI, I, I just think about you, you've really got to do the things that matter. And, and the decision is not necessarily in how you do things, it's in determining what matters. And, and I think there could be some regulators that might cheer when I say this, and I'm, I'm sure people that know me might chuckle that I'm agreeing, right? <laughs> but really assessing risk, right? What, what are banks? Banks, that's what we do, right? We evaluate risk in general. Mm -hmm. You really need to sit down and find what is really a risk. Right. And, and what things in your IT environment should not exist anymore? What things need to be done better? What things need more controls around them? I do actually think there is a place there. Um, not going to remember the name of the company off the top of my head. There are some companies out there working on AI type, you know, solutions for things like network monitoring, like looking for anomalies in your network. Uh, you know, OK, well, Sally Smith has never downloaded a file that's over 10 meg and today she decided to download a file that's 100 gig and then it correlates that with and we also saw this happen on the firewall right there's some opportunities there for some good things to happen um but again you know i mean the bad guys are going to be using these things too so it, it's going to be a balance right, right. I, I i want to circle back to identifying what things are really risky and what I would say, like, like if I was talking to one of our senior management, right, CEO or whoever, they don't know. I mean, they don't they don't necessarily know what specific piece of equipment we have where and what it does and how it does it. So I think it's up to the IT department to honestly assess what they're doing. And it's really easy when you've got, you know, third-party auditors, internal auditors, regulators, kind of, you know, on your back, like, well, we we, we want to 
we need documentation for this. We need, it's really easy to try and ignore things, right? But, but I really think people just need to take a hard look, you know, the good old go get a mirror, look at yourself in the mirror and find the things that are really risky and figure out how to either get rid of that risk or put solid controls around it. So, so, I mean, that's, that's how I would kick off sound security practices is you have to know where your risk is. And if you don't know, you're in a bad spot. Yeah, that's perfect. You're finally speaking a language I understand when we're talking about risk assessments. So good. So it's the same concept as any other area in the bank then. Identify the threats and then um, look at what you can do to mitigate that risk. Absolutely. I, I mean, again, it's you. we're always going to have systems that aren't ideal, right? We're, we're always going to have to operate in environments that are adverse. You know, maybe you've got a bank building that's 120 years old or 150 years old or something, right? Like doing the basics in those buildings, running a cable from point A to point B is difficult, right? Because the building was not built, I mean, you know, to do that. But you really just have to sit down and, and really know what you're dealing with, right? And not only know, but you need to be able to talk to your management about what kind of risks we're facing in a way that they can understand. And these guys understand risk. They, they absolutely do. So how do we take that special IT knowledge and when we talk about it, talk about it in a way that they can understand really what risk you know xyz thing presents to their institution and i think that's that's really big i'm not always great at it like i get lost in the weeds because i get excited about how it works um, <laughs> but i know there's people out there that do a really good job you know of, of making that communication work well yeah that's a great point making sure you speak the same language i mean we have the same issue with when we talk about compliance, you know, we use different terms or use the same terms, but in different ways as, as normal bank folks. So making sure that we're all on the same page is, is key. Any, any key tips there for IT folks? Yeah. You know, I, I do. I, and I kind of, uh, I jotted some things down. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are, are embracing cloud technology. Make sure you understand what you're getting into read the terms of, of service, right? Read the terms and agreements. And I, let me tell you, you know, you better go get like a Red Bull or something when you go to read them because it's not <laughs> real phenomenal reading, right? Like it's pretty dry, but you really got to understand what you're getting into with that stuff. Along that same note though, there's a lot of people that think, well, my IT told me we moved to the cloud. I guarantee you, you didn't move everything to the cloud, right? I, I don't, I don't know of any bank that can say that they might exist. Right. But I, I don't personally know of any. So you still have on-premise infrastructure. Do you have VPN? Does it have multi-factor authentication on it? Are there ways around the multi-factor authentication? Um, you know, the good thing is, is like putting, putting multi-factor on a, on a remote VPN connection. It is really not a hard thing anymore. And it's, relatively cheap there you know it's not a, a big lift so even if you're a really small bank maybe one location you know out in a rural area 
you can you can afford it and you can find somebody that can help you enable that but i i think that's one that really stands out to me you know the other one is um you got to know what you've got public facing right and if it's a known vulnerable thing so uh you you audit people and, and compliance people like your acronym. So RDP is a you know remote connection protocol that that Windows provides called Remote Desktop. Um, no, notoriously easy to use to break into things. Right? Um, don't expose it to the internet. Just don't do it. Right? And if you've got it, like let's say you're a small place and you don't have your own IT, it's it's a managed service provider you need to come up with a way for them to prove to you that it's not. And, and there's other protocols. That's just an example. That's, that's like one you, you know, go to any like system security forum and it's, you, you can see the post happen. Oh my gosh, it happened. We, we got ransomed. Right. And then the next post is, did you have RDP expose the internet? Well, yeah, but we didn't know. <laughs> there you go. So, so you got to know. I, I think that's a big one. Um, this is a lot tougher to do. This next item that I that I have is a lot tougher to do in a smaller bank. Um, I mean, it's tough everywhere, but when you've got people sharing, wearing multiple hats and things, it, it becomes difficult. But least privilege, and, and that includes your systems people, right? If they don't need access, they shouldn't have it. Um, I just can't stress enough in my mind, you need to utilize least privilege everywhere that you can, right? Whether that's, you know, your, your active directory, which is like the identity provider that a lot of on-premise stuff has, right? Whether it's your active directory, whether it's your core banking system, take a look at your, your admin side for your online banking, right? Do you have least privilege set up in there or do people have access to things that they just don't need? And I think that can go a long ways, right? Because let, let's say that, uh, um, and, and these are all fake names. Let me lead with that, the fake <laughs> names. Um, you know, Sue Smith um, clicks on a phishing link. It, it got through our filters, whatever, right? Firewall doesn't block the, the initial reach out that, that brings the payload in. Um, if Sue Smith only has access to two applications in her desktop, there's a good chance that that we're going to catch this before something terrible happens. But if Sue Smith has access to everything and Sue Smith's next door neighbor in the cubicle next door has access to everything, we got a big problem, right? And, and I really want to highlight there, your systems, the people that do what I do, they also should have some limits placed on them. Now I say that and I would get like real excited, you know, but it's true, like it, there needs to be least privilege uh, across the board, right? And I, I think that's a really, really important thing. So I, I'm curious, what's your feedback as a, as a compliance person? You know, I'm sure there were times where you wanted into things that somebody was like, nah, you just, we're not giving you that, right? You know, I actually have to disagree with that. My, my background in audit and compliance is generally, um, my attitude is for the love of God, keep anything I can mess up away from me. I want as little as possible, read only and only on the things I want, because I know how easy it would be to click something and just wreck someone's loan file. So actually, I, yeah, 
different. I don't, I don't want the access. Um, with all that said, though, if I don't have the access, I want people to be very prompt in sending me things. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I just think, you know, again, when you're evaluating risk of something, if you've got somebody that has no business, you know, like it's not a part of their daily function to have administrative level access into your core banking platform, take it away from them. They, they, you're just, you're taking this massive risk, but you are getting nothing back out of the deal, right? Like you're not getting any productivity out of it, right? You're not, you know, cause they don't do it. So why do they have it? And, and, and I know the, the, you know, it's like, well, what if, what if Jim's gone? Well, then you need to plan for that and, and maybe have a process in place for we temporarily turn on Sue Smith to have more access when Jim's going on vacation. I, I just think those things, th these are things that you can do without going out and spending a bunch of money mm -hmm. that have a material effect if and when something bad happens, right? So I, I think that's important. You know, the other one, and I, I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm taking shots at, at the, the fintech providers out there. But I think as uh, IT professionals, uh, any bank executive, you've got to be willing to push back on fintech providers that are giving you products that are not, you know, up to snuff. And um, I, I just, they don't give us products that are, are you know, well taken care of always. And I think we need to remember that we are their customer and sometimes as a customer you have to push and you have to push back hard and i think that's something that that's important it's very tough to do right because in a lot of cases we're very dependent on these folks right so it's a real balancing act but if we all collectively as as community banks are pushing against our vendors to tell them to do better they're going to do better or somebody else in the marketplace is going to fill their role. Right. And so that's why I think it's important to push back. It's important to talk about it, you know, within your contractual and legal <laughs> bounds. Right. But uh, I think that's really important. Um, I do think that like the large FinTech providers are slowly getting on board with, you know, having better practices, better software development practices, better controls in their own software. Um, but it's going to take some time for sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think that same message goes for, for all of our third-party providers that they, we are their customers and we should be making sure they do what, what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that the regulatory environment kind of supports that also um, make sure that we're checking up on that. So totally agree um, across the board with that piece of advice. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tough, right? Like that's a hard, it, it, it's like vendor management in general is kind of a hard thing. I've always questioned with the big providers. Um, again, we know who they are, right? Why, why are our regulators who also supposedly audit them? Why are we not sharing more of that information? And you know, why is there not an open communication there between the regulators, the people that audit these big fintechs and the people that regulate us and us? I, I think there's value that could be gleaned there. And I think it could also take some burden 
off the banks when you know we're having to do vendor management on somebody that everybody's having to do vendor management on right so there's a piece there and again i'm 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 choosing my words carefully because i don't i don't want to upset or offend anybody but uh i, I think there's some things that could be done there to to make things better for sure yeah well those are great that's great takeaways and, and great advice um thank you for visiting with me today levi i've really enjoyed this yeah, I, I I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I would like to throw just a couple more quick things out there if I could. Yeah. Um, you know, know who your know what your administrative accounts are, know who has them, monitor monitor them well, right? And again, if if somebody has an administrative level account and they don't need it, take it away from them. Right. Just don't want to get popped with that. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I want is te test your controls and really stringently test them. If you say you're monitoring for something, prove it, prove that you're doing it. And I think this is as equally important for somebody that for a, a, an institution that has a managed services company. It's just as important for them. You need to make sure that that managed services company is, in fact, providing the controls that they say they're providing, right? And 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 my favorite one, um, and I think at this point, everybody, every security person in the world's taking a shot at SolarWinds. Look, if if your network monitoring solution requires absolute administrative permissions across your entire fleet maybe find a different one, right? Yikes. So again, you got a managed service provider. What are they using for their RMM, which is their remote management and monitoring solutions? Um, what are they using? What permissions does it have? You know, are there known vulnerabilities with it? Do they keep it up to date? Things like that become really important. So yeah, yeah, I can stop there. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Thanks for all of that, Levi. Those were really great examples and like I said, great advice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, I like to talk about this stuff, right? The passion comes through. That's what matters. <laughs> all right. And for the rest of our listeners, that's Banking Matters. <laughs>